You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. In a world where medicine mostly revolves around the treatment of illness and disease, the ability to prevent problems before they occur is what we aspire to do. In this episode, Dr. Nader discusses prevention and how you can create better health and balance before illness and disease even arise through Maharishi Ayurveda. Greetings to all. It's a great joy today to be discussing a topic which relates to health health in its full meaning, health as wholeness, as fullness of life, as fulfillment. Really, whatever one feels is the best that one can be. And that aim, which seems like an ideal aim, is something that is taken into consideration and addressed and promoted and actually achieved through a system of health that we call Ayurveda. That term Ayurveda comes from thousands of years old tradition of Veda. For those who have been with us on a previous discussion, we have discussed Veda. Veda is a term that means knowledge. It comes from the ancient Sanskrit. It's knowledge to know. It's total knowledge of life and if you recall, yoga is one of those aspects that are part of Veda. Other aspects include music, include chanting, include meditation, various aspects to develop the full potential of the individual and society, and to even give a scientific approach to health and wholeness, which is available in the science called Ayurveda. Ayurveda, so Ayu, Ayush, is life, is a span of life, and that's the knowledge about life and living. So the system of health that is promoted or taught or uh, practiced by Vedic knowledge is called Ayurveda, it's called the science and knowledge about life. In modern science, in modern medicine, we look at individual physiology, as being made out of different organs and organ systems. And our modern scientists and doctors specialize in these different functions of the body. They specialize in the heart, so it's a cardiologist. They specialize in the kidneys. It's a nephrologist. They specialize in the functioning of the nervous system, a neurologist, and often these different parts of the nervous system or parts of the physiology are seen as separate organs or separate systems working as if uh, independently, but of course we know that they are connected. Now in this ancient system of Ayurveda, there is something more profound in terms of the basic functioning of the individual and the individual in relation with the environment. So 
At the basis of all these organs, which of course are very much there, they are taken into consideration and understood, there are principles. And these principles are basic constituents, basic motivating factors, basic structural mechanisms that uphold all of these organs and actually unify them together in wholeness, in a greater wholeness. If we step from the just the organs to what makes the organ function, how the organ functions, which means, for example, what happens in the physiology, we have the structure of organs and organ systems. We have the transformations that these organs and organ systems go through. We have the movement, the change, the growth, the transforming values and the moving aspects that make, for example, one organ communicate with the other or connect with each other. And these are therefore very fundamental values that are basic, very basic in the human functioning and the human physiology. The movement, for example, how things move, how the hormones move, how the blood moves, how the oxygen moves, how the electrical activity in the nervous system moves. All of these are movements. And so in the ancient Ayurvedic system, the movement itself is a basic principle that can be healthy or that can be damaged. And therefore, more basic than just the organ itself and how it functions on its own level, there is the principle of how things move, the energy that makes it move. Now, the organs also get transformed, they change. And this changing value, which allows them to move from one situation to another, from one situation to another, to evolve, to create change and steps of progress. And for example, to metabolize things, to digest things, which means you take some kind of food, it becomes something else. It is uh, divided and ground into small pieces. And then these pieces are reassembled to become the organs and organ systems what we call in modern science metabolism. But all of this reconstruction and transformation and change, which includes change and modification of information on the mind level, of food on the digestive level, of hormonal activity from one state to the other on the hormonal level, etc., is also an important principle. And that principle is a principle of metabolism that is also very valuable and very important and is not just limited to certain organs, but it's a general principle, which means how our physiology is able to move and transform things one state to another, from one state to another. A third aspect which is very important is the structure. Structure is very important because if the structure is not cohesive, coherent, is not solid, it's not maintained together well, then the physiology cannot function properly. And the structure is a principle, a quality, which of course is available in every organ of the body, independent of which organ is. 
So we see these three values, which are more basic than just individual organs, and which actually is present in all of the organs and all of the aspects of the physiology. And in the ancient times, they have a name. So they gave them a name so that they are referred to as specific values. The value of movement, which is to move, moving, changing, and like that, moving from one situation to another, is called vata, V-A-T-A. The principle of transformation and metabolism and change is called pitta. P-I-T-T-A, if you like, or one T, but pitta is a little stressed on the T, so pitta. Vata is movement, pitta is transformation. And then the third part, which is the structure, the solidity, the wholeness of and integrity of the structure, is called kapha. So kapha is the principle that maintains structure and solidity and strength of the physiology as a basic principle underlying all activities and all structures and functions of the human physiology. Now, as we go deeper than that, we find that there are elements that constitute vata, pitta, and kapha. So vata for movement, pitta for metabolism and change, and kapha is for structure and solidity and cohesion of the system. These are basic elements, more even basic than vata, pitta, kapha in a sense, because they are the constituents or they have an importance on the vata, pitta, kapha levels. And these are the aspect of space and the aspect of gaseous nature, things that move. And therefore, in the Vedic tradition, in the Ayurveda, there are what is called the prakritis, which is aspects of nature that are the basic constituents of the reality of vata, pitta, kapha, and then all the organs and organ systems. Usually, we have been discussed in different, of course, traditions and different scientific investigations as being the general kind of constituents of life. There is space, there is the gaseous situation, which is the ability to be everywhere, to move everywhere. The gas expands everywhere. There is the fire element, which is the element of change and burning, which means taking something, transforming into something else. There is water, which is fluidity, an element of fluidity, of being able to move across things and be fluid, be able to spread around. And there is the element of earth. Earth means solidity and strength. So for Vata, the two principal elements are space and the gaseous element. We can call it air, space and air. For Pitta, which is the transforming value, it's obviously fire. That's the fire of metabolism and fire of of uh, transformation, the power of transformation, but also water, which is the fluidity, the ability to be fluid, which means to move uh, in a way that it transforms and as compared to Earth's element, which is solid structure and solidity. So Pitta 
has these two values. It has the value of fire and water or fluidity. And then kapha is more on the solid structure and it combines uh, the fluid value now with the structural value which is considered as solidity and in solidity we can say earth. Earth is just a term to define solidity of things. So we have these principles and these values that we are starting to discover and why are they important? It's because they have an effect on everything that relates to the functioning of the physiology. Now underlying these is a more subtle values of the reality which takes us to our intellect, our mind, our ego, which are part of what is called prakriti. And ultimately upholding all of this and creating all of this, allowing all of this to manifest is actually in Ayurveda considered to be the most fundamental aspect of the building blocks of creation and that is consciousness. In modern Ayurveda, there has been a little bit sometimes of neglect of this important aspect, the aspect of consciousness. Because we are all busy about foods, about the diet, about exercise, about this, and we forget that the basic, most important element is consciousness. Now, Ayurveda has been brought to the West in the widest possible way and popularized by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who brought this system of health in its true fullness and completeness by studying and analyzing and bringing the highest level of experience and knowledge and professional understanding and expertise of the top Ayurvedic doctors that come from the Vedic tradition that are mostly in the East now, in India, in Nepal, and in other countries also. And he has, Maharishi has, made it a complete science. That's why we, we like to call it Maharishi Ayurveda. Most importantly, to remind of the importance of all the steps that build up the whole physiology from its source from its basis, which is consciousness, which is the value of consciousness. So this is one aspect in general. Of course, Ayurveda is a big science and it has many, many details. And it's really, of course, impossible to go into all of these details. You can find, of course, a lot on the internet. There are conferences that are being held in Nepal. There is a great conference on Ayurveda that's going to be held. But what we want to discuss is some very important principles so that you can understand the basics of Ayurveda and then the rest are details that one can add to one's own personal situation and one's personal condition. Now beyond the fact that it's taking us from these most basic principles of health and wholeness, in Ayurveda and in Veda in general, the human body is not just considered as one entity, as being, you know, not just the different organs and organ systems, and then this makes one individual, but the individual is part of nature, part of a wholeness. 
which means we are made out of ingredients, we are made out of processes, we are made out of laws that actually are the laws that create our universe, that create our planet Earth, that is in relation with the sun, in relation with the moon, in relation with the planets, in relation with the cycles of the Earth, day and night and seasons, and in relation with also our own building blocks, which are ultimately coming from the Earth. And as we use food, for example, food has different ingredients. And since we come from all this, we have been molded from these actual ingredients originally. These ingredients have a very intimate relationship with our physiology, with our body, not only in terms of nourishment. For example, in modern science, we have some basic discussions about the nourishment that is needed. For example, enough proteins, enough carbohydrates, enough fat uh, constituents because they need, you know, to build different building blocks in the body and different vitamins, different minerals are present more or less in fat-soluble things versus protein to build the muscles, versus sugar to nourish, you know, the brain and the dynamism and burn calories so that we are active and all of that. All of these values are, of course, important and they are there. But in Ayurveda, they take a more important character because they have not just this quality of calories and what kind of calories and just about vitamins and minerals, etc. But they have these qualities also of space, water, earth, uh, fluidity and fire. And then ultimately, if you put them together to simplify, they have these qualities of vata, pitta, and kapha. Vata, movement. So there are things that enhance movement in general. Pitta, metabolism. There are things, foods, um, condiments, uh, legumes, fruits, uh, different spices that enhance pitta. And there are different foods and situations and circumstances that enhance and strengthen kapha. And so if we take too much of one, we might balance something and imbalance something else. What is also important in Ayurveda is that our physiology can have a primary value in vata, pitta, or kapha, or combination of those. Which means some of us are more vata inclined, or they have a quality of their mind and body that is on the vata side. So what is a vata person, a vata kind of characteristics? The vata person, when the vata is balanced and is in proper shape in the physiology, then the person is energetic and vivacious. They usually learns very easily, quickly memorizes things, but then can also forget them quickly. It's again movement. Things move very fast. They have a clear and alert mind, uh, very sharp, fast moving. 
and for example they'll fall asleep very easily at bedtime but sometimes they could wake up also and feel agitated if they are not balanced. The digestion usually of those who have a balanced vata is quite balanced and the elimination is happening because that is also movement in the digestive system. Elimination is good and the blood circulation is balanced and even the body temperature is balanced and there is good circulation. So that is Vata person. If you feel that you are like that feeling, uh, you are the kind who moves fast, who is energetic, who uh, remembers things fast, whose mind works very fast, who makes uh, many friends, but not necessarily very deep friendship, then you might have a preponderance or a priority of Vata quality in your physiology. Now, if there is too much Vata, which means too much movement, and this can be due to exposure to different factors that increase vata. We can talk about some of them. Then if the vata becomes out of balance, the person gets tired and fatigued very quickly because there is too much use on the physiology, too much movement. And there is then, for example, lack of focus. There is forgetfulness. Again, movement. It gets one forgets things. And one can be spaced out, again, space, the element of space, or the mind gets scattered and one doesn't feel like in the air, not really able to focus or to concentrate. And then if it's out of balance, you can have difficulty to fall asleep. And because vata is of these dry elements, which means air and space, it can be drying. It can lead to skin dryness, it can lead to constipation. Then one can feel occasionally cold physically. If there is these tendencies, then that means vata is out of balance. It's too much in the physiology. Circulation can be imbalanced and poor. The hands can be cold and the feet like that. And in terms of mental uh, experience, it is usually along the lines of feeling of anxiety or worry, constantly worried, constantly anxious. So that means there is too much vata. So this is the vata kind of balance situation versus vata that is out of balance. Now if we take pitta, a person who has good, strong, balanced pitta, if you feel like you are like that, this is the kind of fire, you know, the fire is strong and this fire is the fire of the mind and the fire of the body. So the fire of the mind, there is perfectionism, require everything to be perfect, strong intellect. And in the body, there is a sharp kind of feelings of you can eat anything and digest it because you have strong digestion. And Pitta creates a glow, glowing skin and, and radiance of the physiology. And then usually sleep is solid and one sleeps through the night. The Pitta is organizing itself well. And this Pitta can also give inner peace and happiness. So these are some of the signs of Pitta personality when it is in balance. So if you feel you are, you know, red-headed, sharp-minded, uh, strong intellect, you know, but in a balanced way, in a clear way, then you are more on the pitta kind of side of 
the physiology. Now, pitta also can go out of balance, and then this uh, sharpness can become a fiery personality, a controlling personality, want to work too much, and there is a workaholic tendencies, and one can get overheated, and there is then excess, you know, acid in the stomach, so there is uh, maybe potential for ulcers, you get skin rashes, you can acne, and you can have, of course, also interruption in sleep, and bowels usually can be very loose, and loose bowel movements, this tendency is when pitta is too much. So this is about pitta. Now, what about kapha? If kapha is balanced, as we know, it is structure, solidity. So it's the kind of person who is stable, that has a stable temperament, and good long-term memory. A kapha person will make not too many friends, but solid friends. They'll remember, they'll stay friends, they are somebody you can depend on, they are solid, they are sweet, they are moving slowly, they are robust physiology, and they have a lot of strength and stamina. Usually they are also very affectionate, very compassionate, very caring, and they can also, of course, have very sound sleep. Now, if kapha got out of balance, then again, you can imagine the things that are positive can now accumulate in a way that is not positive, which means one can gain a lot of weight because it's all about structure, about heaviness. Remember, it's water and earth, which is the solid, strong, heavy aspects of the physiology and the functioning of nature. So therefore, if there is too much kapha, one can gain weight easily, digestion becomes sluggish, and you can have allergies uh, because, again, of these secretions, heavy things, the clogging of the system, of the respiratory tract. On the level of the mind, you know, this soft, sweet slowness can become a little bit more of lethargy. It's more of a feeling of sadness, tendency towards feeling sad or depressed and then sometimes difficulty to wake up and the desire to eat a lot becomes there if kapha is out of balance. So these are just principles. Now, how do we do that? What do we do? One can know, of course, there are tests and systems to analyze one's own physiology and how it is functioning. But something very important to realize is that also the time of the day the food we eat, the time of the season, they influence vata, pitta, kapha. And the day, for example, is divided into six sections or three repeating itself in the day and then in the night. And it starts, we can say, from the morning, let's say from six o'clock in the morning till about 10 o'clock in the morning. This is the kapha time. This is a time when one is waking up, one is fresh and soft and like that. And in nature, it is also the kapha time. Then from 10 to 2 in the afternoon, this is when the sun is highest in the sky. That is the pitta time. And from the afternoon, 2 o'clock till 6 o'clock, 
is the vata time. And the cycles repeat. And from 6 to 10 in the night, in the evening, is kapha. From 10 to 2 is pitta. And from 2 till 6 o'clock in the morning is the vata time. Now, we usually say it's good to have good enough number hours of sleep. 7 hours, 8 hours, 9 hours, whatever one is used to or likes to sleep. And that is like a general thing. But in Ayurveda, it's not just the hours of sleep, it's the quality of sleep. For example, from 10 to 2 in the night is the pitta time. Now we said pitta is change and metabolism. But in the night, it is really cleaning up, transforming the physiology, digesting the memories of the day, sorting out things and correcting the physiology. And nature is in that quality of functioning. So that is why it's very important that we go to bed before 10 o'clock and we wake up, hopefully, if we can, before the kapha time. So we, we wake up before 6, that is ideal. And that would be the best time, for example, to do your yoga asanas and do your meditation. Because that is the time when one is settled and there is the freshness of the morning and then that prepares for an activity that is healthy. For eating during the day, the best time is to eat in the middle of the day when the pitta, the digestive system, the transforming, the fire, is most important. So the main meal should be actually in the noon time when the sun is highest in the sky. And like this, there are many, many factors that influence uh, seasonally also, during the day rhythms also, the physiology. So if one has a lot of vata, for example, one has to be careful what time they sleep, what time they eat, what kind of food they eat, and be even more careful during those times that can aggravate the kapha or the vata or the pitta, depending on the situation. And also be more careful for the seasons, because we are part of nature, and the cycles of the day and night influence our physiology as well as the cycles of nature. For example, the summer, you can imagine hotter sun in the sky, that is more of a pitta season. Springtime, late winter time, the coolness, the things are building up structure, nature waking up and starting to build up, and all of that. This is the kapha time. When we come to the fall after the summer, and uh, you know, the summer has created these hot red uh, leaves and all of that, but now the fall comes, there is movement, there is air, the leaves fall, things are kind of going away from each other like that. That is a season of vata. So we have to be very careful if we have a density for exaggerating vata, that we would uh, be careful in the fall season. We can say that even life has different qualities. The middle part of the life is a pitta, dynamic, active person. The first part is the building up of the physiology, soft, sweet, round, solid kind of part of life is kapha. And then at the end of life, you know, some wasting, some kind of like that, that is more of the vata quality. So these are the cycles of life and, you know, modern science is discovering that these values are 
very important uh, because even medicines that we give depend on individual physiology and the things, the way we metabolize the food, at what time we should give different kinds of food. That's what's called chronobiology, which means uh, taking into consideration the rhythms and the cycles of nature, the cycles of the body. Foods, herbs, plants, they all have qualities that are vata pacifying, pitta pacifying, or kapha pacifying. For example, the vata pacifying foods which reduce uh, vata if you have too much vata are sweet things. And these include, you know, natural sweet food like fruits, most grains, some root vegetables, milk, ghee, fresh yogurt like that. Nuts and seeds, oils also are very vata pacifying because they are heavier. And natural sweet foods are like that. Then we have sour things that are also vata pacifying like lemon, lemon juice and vinegar. We have other uh, taste that is pacifying for vata is the salty uh, taste. And if we look at the pacifying things, we can say what to minimize because there are things that can increase vata. And what increases vata are the pungent foods, the spicy foods, the hot flavors, and the bitter things like bitter greens, uh, colored greens, uh, Jerusalem artichokes like that. These are things should avoid if you have too much vata. Astringent things also should be avoided. Astringent is basically a taste of dryness, flavor, you know, it's like a chalky taste that dries the mouth. Like that, and we have then the pitta pacifying foods, and in terms of their qualities, these are usually the sweet things, also they pacify pitta, the bitter things, they pacify pitta, and the astringent things pacify pitta. And in terms of what you should minimize if you have too much pitta, Again, of course, you would imagine the spicy foods because it's hot. These hot flavors, the radish, the chilies, the turnips, raw onions, they increase the pitta, so you should avoid them. The sour foods also should be minimized, like vinegar, fermented foods, and hard cheeses. And the salty things also should be avoided for pitta. Now, for kapha, the pacifying foods, you can emphasize now to the contrary, you want to emphasize the pungent because as you know, kapha is, is solid, is strong, is sticky, and you want it to be moving and burned and all of that. So the pungent spicy foods are very good for pacifying kapha. And the bitter tastes also are very good as well as the astringent taste. They are very good to pacify kapha. On the other hand, you should avoid and minimize uh, sweet things, heavy things, cold things, because these are aggravating to the heaviness of kapha, and sour things, for example, also, as well as salty things. So this gives us a general idea about the relationship between the individual, individual physiology, the cycles of the day, the cycles of life, and the cycles of nature, and what we eat, and the diseases that we have. So we can get diseases that are mostly pitta, they will be pacified by pitta food that pacifies pitta. So ulcers, red spots on the skin, acne like that.
So this is a general just idea of the things to do. For example, exercise, too much exercise at the wrong time for a vata would be too aggravating. Some exercise at the wrong time, which means during even the kapha periods of the day or the year, and more of it for those who have kapha tendency, will be very important and very, very pacifying. Pitta should have moderate activity in that sense. So you have something from the mind, something from the body. For example, in the evening, it's better not to eat very heavy food. It's also, particularly for pitta, not to watch movies that are aggressive or that are having anger in them, because in the night, this is what will be digested. So it is good in the night to have soft evening, to have nice conversations with family, think of good things, exchange beautiful thoughts. Uh, if you have problems, avoid to deal with them before you go to bed. And all of this is really a holistic perspective. Mind, body, environment, and food is one holistic reality. And we are part of that. We are part of that. In modern approach, fine, we have dissected things in order to understand how they work, but we have forgotten the wholeness. We are now specialized in little organs here and there, and we forget the whole physiology. Okay, we think of the whole physiology, we forgot it. It's part of days and nights that have cycles, part of nature, part of the seasons, parts of the cycles of life. And ultimately, ultimately, the solution that is most profound is on the level of the source of all of that. What is the source of all change, the source of all transformation, the source of all physical, material reality is consciousness, pure being, pure consciousness. Coming back to the self, coming back to the self, which is the source of physiology, the source of nature itself, this is the unified field, as we discussed in previous live streams and discussions. If you enliven the source of that, then the mind gets settled, the mind gets clearer, and the body gets reorganized, removes its stresses, and then one can naturally start thinking and acting in the right direction, and one's own mind and body guide us in the right direction. I want to finish with a short experiment that was done in, um, when I was studying at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. There were a study about how you know animals eat and balance their diets. So food was taken and some jars had some protein, some jars had some fat, some jar has some sugar like that, different kind of things. But to the tricks and means of modern science, they were mixed up in such a way that the little rats, it was on rats, wouldn't know in any way, neither flavor-wise, nor taste, nor smell, nor color, nor anything, the difference between the jars. And so we put all these jars in the laboratory and uh, let the little rats eat to see how they eat. First, so they eat right and left randomly. But after a while, you know, so one jar has only protein, but it tastes the same and looks the same as the one that has fat or the one that has uh, sugar, etc. There is a way to do that. 
After a while, we found that these little rats, they actually ate a very balanced diet. And they just pick up this and they don't want any more from this. They pick up that and they pick up this and they pick up that. And after a while, they have a very balanced diet. What does it tell us? It tells us that nature has organized in its internal system the ability to pick up the right thing at the right time in a proper balance so that there is a balanced diet. As humans, we are exposed to all kinds of advertising, media, this bombarding us, consumer society, and we have a little bit also lost the sense of being in touch with ourselves. With practice of transcendental meditation, we are seeing that people who do it regularly, they are more in touch with themselves. They know what's happening in their physiology. And the principle is go back to the self, go back to the balance which is within, and then one will have the right desires, the right intuition, and make the right choices. Of course, knowledge is very important and we are intellectually thirsty species. We want to understand and we want to know things. And this is absolutely fine and of course beautiful and necessary. But if we are losing touch with ourselves, then the whole system is gonna be more difficult to adapt and understand and even be able to follow because one will want to do this and not this and this and not that. And because one is not in touch with what one really needs and that is why we say for this reason and for million other reasons, the development of consciousness is very important and very profound. And this is why we like to call Ayurveda Maharishi Ayurveda because it was Maharishi who brought the light, the full value of Ayurveda and the value of development of consciousness as the most basic aspect of Ayurveda that will allow life to be lived in its fullness and its true holistic nature on the level of consciousness, mind, body, intellect, ego, environment, the physiology, and the cycles of nature. So that is the different points. They are brief introduction to a vast knowledge uh, of Ayurveda. And there are conferences that are being held. Uh, there is a conference in Nepal that is, uh, what is the title? It's there, Ah, very good. But you can, uh, you know, go on the internet and check. There are many of these things have been discussed extensively on the internet. Even you can just maybe Google VPK Ayurveda, V, v for Vata, Pitta, Kapha, VPK Ayurveda, and you will get directed to sites which all of these things are described in great detail, and there are even tests you can take to know what's your body type and, you know, the kinds of food, they are all listed. I just wanted to share with you the basic principles. So when you understand the basic principles, it's easier to realize why and this, why and that, rather than just learn these things by heart, you know, like, okay, if you eat a spice, it's not good for pita. If you eat that other spice, it's good for that. But now, Hopefully, you know more how the whole thing works and why it works like that. We have a few questions, and one of them is, does the transcendent state balance doshas? This is from Jonida. Exactly that, exactly that. You see, 
Transcendence is going to the unified field. The unified field is the source of all there is in creation. Physics has looked at what is the universe made of, including stars, trees, humans, animals, everything. And when you look, they are made out of molecules. Molecules are made out of atoms. Atoms are made out of elementary particles. And then they found that these elementary particles are actually made out of fields. And the laws that manage these fields and these particles are more and more unified as you go deeper in nature. And now the science is having a unified field, one field of natural law that becomes all the forces, all the laws, and all the particles that ultimately come together to form the atoms, the molecules, the human being, the planets, and the stars. If you go to that field, you are going to the source of all there is in the universe. And so the doshas are balanced by transcending. Transcending means going back to the self, which is the place where the template of all these values is where the, you know, the blueprint is all of there. One of the things Maharishi made me do is to research the structure of Veda, which is consciousness, the structure of consciousness, and the structure of physiology. And, you know, it was amazing, amazingly beautiful to see how our physiology is made out of the structures and dynamics of consciousness. So when consciousness is aligned with its true inner being, true self, its wholeness, the body follows. Mind and body are intimately related. There is no thought that you have that doesn't have some chemical change in your nervous system. Everything is a continuous reality of consciousness manifesting itself as mind, intellect, body, and actually the whole universe. So if you go to the source, everything else gets organized. In fact, there is a saying in the Veda which says, know that by knowing which everything is known. Be that by being which you are everything. And therefore, if we are that, we can balance the doshas from that level of transcendence. Are there easy things a busy student can do? I have no time. Well, what you have is the ability to improve time, to gain time. So when we don't have time, we have to buy time. <laughs> How do we buy time? How do we buy time? It's by making time effective, by making time efficient. You know, one can spend two hours, let's say, studying something and be able to assimilate and remember and concentrate on a number of things. If one is actually able to have clear mind, focused attention, one can naturally do in sometimes in half an hour what another person whose mind is floating around and busy and worried and like that can take three hours to do. So time is very relative. I had the same problem when I was in medical school where, you know, you have pre-medical school, you have competition, and people are selected, students are selected, they have to work hard, there is not a minute to waste, you have to take care of things. And how can one do transcendental meditation with all this demand on your time? And I thought I should try it to see what happens. 
And if you practice it, I started to feel my ability to focus, my ability to solve things, my clarity. And that is how I managed to get time that otherwise, uh, in a relative term, would have been not available to me, which means for the shorter period of time, I was able to achieve much more. And I'm not just the only example. This is an anecdote, of course, but we can see through scientific studies how people's ability to focus, ability to achieve is greater. So this is what you can do. You can transcend, you can learn transcendental meditation and you will see how you are able to manage life rather than life kicking one around right and left because of situation and circumstances, because of fatigue and all of that. We always say if you want to be dynamic, you have to have yourself established in the source of dynamism. It's like a tree that has to grow out and be full. And if the tree says, I have no time to send my roots down because I'm building up and so the roots is not my concern, then the tree doesn't grow stronger. So by anchoring oneself in the self, by being strong within and clear within, then one can achieve maximum in the outside. It's a very good question though. And in terms of Ayurveda, you can learn few things and pay attention to certain rhythms of life, certain foods one eats, and that's quite simple. Is there a food to make your body warmer? Yes, usually warm food. <laughs> it sounds like an obvious thing, but you know, that is one thing that aggravates, for example, vata. What aggravates vata is people who eat dry, cold foods and they don't have strength in them. So the foods that are warmer, that are warmer in their content, you know, like more, a little more spicy or a little more warmed up, you know, not hot, very hot necessarily, but try to eat warm food, you know, warm vegetables, don't eat too much things that are very dry and cold. Now, this reminds me that, of course, this is a general introduction. You might have some issue or health problem that it would require that you see your physician, be taken care of properly, have a proper diagnosis. Uh, but these are just general principles and not intended to guide you just like that without knowing you, without uh, having a direct knowledge of the situation that we have. Some things you can learn about yourself and, and study it. There is something called the pulse diagnosis, for example. We take these three fingers, the index, middle and ring finger, and we put them on the side where there is the thumb. And, you know, the first one is vata, pitta, kapha. You can practice that just to have a habit of seeing whether you can feel these different values. But we have courses and there are different programs to teach all of these and guide through specific values of Ayurveda. <laughs> this is, I thought it was a question, but it turns out to be to announce to you that there is an international Ayurveda Congress in October in Nepal and everyone is invited. Have a healthy, happy, balanced, integrated life and full of joy and radiate fullness everywhere. Thank you for joining. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.